Hello, and welcome to the Transportation Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Maggie Shin. Quality, safety, and profitability are all considerations businesses take into account and focus on on a daily basis. As consumers so too become increasingly focused on quality and the footprint or responsibility of the products they consume and buy, businesses are looking for ways to track and create a record of accountability for their products. One company, a startup called Perceptive Sensors, is using a technology developed and used by the government for homeland security and customs applications to allow companies to determine what fluids are within a container, a way of testing and tracking without ever opening a container. Jim Palladino, COO and CFO, along with product development at Perceptive Sensors, headquartered in Tucson, Arizona, is here to discuss this technology, along with the challenges and range of application possibilities for non-destructive fluids testing, including fueling, transportation, and the logistics industries, to name a few. He's also here to discuss timely mandates, such as the International Maritime Organization's Bunker Fuel Regulations change. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Thanks, Maggie. Great being here. Let's start the podcast out by talking about perceptive sensors technology, because it sounds almost like science fiction. Tell me about the ultrasonic sensor and when your company realized that the sensor could be used for applications outside of government and homeland security. So, yeah, really interesting story, Maggie, to go back a few years. Um, It was really created by the government, and government creates these things within labs within the United States, and our lab is in the uh, um, Pacific Northwest Lab. And they developed this mainly for documentation and making sure there was no chemical weapons after the Gulf Wars. So it was impractical we would go in there and have a treaty with a, a, a country and they would say we have no chemical weapons to prove it here's 10,000 munition shells go check them and it didn't make sense to go in open up munitions shells 10,000 dip in put a hazmat suit on make sure it wasn't whatever and put it back together so the 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 pacific northwest labs are really smart guys for 40 guys and girls 4400 scientists in total Um, They worked on this project, and at a certain point, they said, this is great, and then we will make this available for use. So there was a company prior to us who took it and ran with it, really within the Homeland Security side, um, ports, customs, things like that, and they had a good run at it. Um, But in the last about year and a half, two years, Perceptive took over the patent information and the licensing of it, and we rebranded the company. And now we're really trying to push into oil and gas and logistics per se. So, um, I mean, right now we're working with a few oil companies, mainly the midstream guys who are the tanks and the blue collar tank guys and the, the pipeline guys. And there's also logistics companies that they just want to verify whatever they bought is being transported, whether it's a tote, IBC, uh, IBC tote, which is um, looks like a pallet, like a cubed pallet and making sure whatever liquid that is got to the right place or there was a barrel um, whether it was a personal care company that they're accepting some sort of product they want to make sure that that product is really what it is somebody in the transport system didn't take 10 gallons of uh, fluid out of there and put 10 gallons of water in it and that they're actually receiving the correct thing so really exciting technology um, <clears throat> really just a the, the basics are just time of flight is what we really come down to. So we have a patented technology where we can, on the outside of a container, 
and the buzzword here is non-destructive technology or NDT, we can, we can pulse into the container um, an ultrasonic pulse and it will bounce and come back and then we could read that from, the, we, we would have to know the temperature and the distance and a simple algebra, whatever is left over. That speed we can calculate through our computers and tell you what that material is. And it's extremely um, accurate and we have other measures to make it more accurate and there's more applications, more metrics that we can put on it from the scientists and they're dying to sort of jump in and support us with stuff. But as of right now, we can tell you if you just bought 92 octane or they sort of ripped you off at the pump and they only gave you 88 octane. So it's that precise. Are there other ways, Jim, NDT or otherwise, that these companies are testing their fluids right now? Not really. I mean, it's all about they have to take a sample and go to the labs and it could be a day there mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, you know, it's problematic when you have a tanker loaded up at a refinery or wherever and he's waiting there smoking a cigarette outside and waiting to go into the plant. I mean, you look at like a, a, a like a, a, an ocean view of somewhere like Singapore, there's tankers lined up for, for miles and miles trying to get in. Why? Because they haven't been documented correctly. Maybe there's some altercation and things. There are a few companies out there that can identify, um, but it's not really not non-destructive. So they can actually um, take a drop, put it into this sort of like clunky looking calculator looking thing, and they could tell you this is a flammable liquid or not. So not really user friendly, and it's just very one-dimensional. I mean, our our systems, uh, the, the original application was exterior but we sort of deconstructed that. Now what we do is we can put sensors inside of a container. So if somebody has something like diesel or we're trying to work with um, um, an organic biological company and they get products out of South America. So if we can put one of these sensors into one of their containers, we can ping it. We can ping it every four seconds if they would like, which is impractical. We would do something like that in oil and gas, but we could ping it once a day just to say, hey, this is really, this essential oil that you bought and it's okay. Oh, by the way, ping it again another day, it's okay. Keep pinging it and pinging it. So on route, that could be GPS enabled. We could know where that is, wherever it's being transported. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, the metrics aren't matching up here correctly. Um, it's not what it's not what you guys, uh, the fingerprint we call it, the acoustic fingerprint is not matching anymore. So maybe, maybe somebody's adulterated it by putting water in it or maybe it's going off spec, meaning it's starting to degrade or there's something wrong with it. So that's, I mean, there's, there's two sexy things on uh, Wall Street right now. One of them is called Bitcoin. The other one is called IoT. I mean, information of things is really, um, and artificial intelligence would be the next predecessor to, the, to something like this. Um, we have like IoT applications that we're gonna try to work with people, um, for instance, right now. Uh, we have a Texas utility company who transforms energy, and, and as you probably know, it's probably the largest in Texas. They have transformers there, and um, the transformers, um, they have something in them called dielectric fluid. And the fluid doesn't, it probably degrades between zero and 10 years, but there's probably really no risk. But the risk is if one of these goes down, they're all, all of a sudden, they could be looking at a five, $10 million or bigger hit like during a very hot day because people have to go find energy on the grid and then they're really being held ransom for buying another 
um, another transform if they don't have one on hand. So what we can do is drop our trans drop our our, our uh, sensors into this, and we could ping it once a day and just say everything's okay, everything's okay. And the IoT function of it would be everything is okay, but um, but we're starting to see a little degradation, and we're starting to see more and more. And so a little bit of a predictive analysis, like, look, it's getting a little bit worse, a little bit worse, a little bit worse. And in the old days, you would just pull it and put something else new. Um, with a little bit of predictive analysis, we could say, you know what, we've seen this show before. We think in about three months, this will probably um, be dangerous, and it might blow out the, the uh, transformer, and you'll have to change the fluid then. So I tell you what, you look like you have... Um, a schedule maintenance coming up here in a, in a month and a half. Let's take the whole system down and we'll just swap this out and put a new one in or change the fluid at that time. So um, the, the new IoT would be much more predictive for somebody um, and our sensors would be very cost effective for, for a $4 million or $3 million transformer having one of our products sit inside of it. It could um, save them a lot of money. Tell me about with this type of quality control or testing and validation, having documentation of the quality of a product, Jim, how do you see this transforming the entire supply chain? How do you see this affecting how the industry is now? Well, I mean, everybody wants documentation. Um, and we works, I mean, there's industries out there which work in a very physical documentation of a world. So, for example, um, truck racks, these are, these are areas where fuel is taken in and it's blended. And then um, there could be like five or ten people that would, um, service stations that would pull up. So Shell would pull up with their Shell truck and they would take in fluid, um, probably four different varieties. It would be a premium, a mid-grade, and a low-grade, and a diesel. So... Um, I mean, everybody wants to be documented correctly when that leaves, or maybe at some point in the future. So, um, I mean, th there are lots of instances where, you know, the diesel gets into the, um, somehow the diesel gets into the, the regular gas and vice versa. Um, not so bad for the, the cars, but the diesels, uh, diesel cars always have a bad time with something like that. So, I mean, just something like that, I've read there's $2 million of lawsuits and things going around like that. So we can document what has left a truck rack where these trucks pull up and they get their specific fluids. So Shell would pull up, pull up and BP will pull up and like Shell would get reinvigorate, I think is a special additive they, they put in there and BP would have another additive put into theirs and everyone has their own particular identity. We could identify that everyone got what they're supposed to, it could be documented and it's gonna be digitalized. We're gonna have that on a computer system and they can look back tomorrow or they can book, look back three years, six years from now. As of right now, the process is they take a retain, which means they take a little sample cup and they put it away some sort of in some filing systems and so they can refer to back to that. And I think they'll keep that for about three months. They refer back to that and say, oh, okay, you guys got bad gas. We, you know, we're at fault here. Lots of times it can be finger pointing too, and somebody could say, "You guys gave me bad gas," and then you know the truck, tr the, the the operators could say, "No, we gave you good gas." And by the way, we think your truck was you know contaminated, or you held some other sort of fluid in there, and we're gonna we we think it's you because I've got documentation here. So I mean, it's a lot of covering your bases with um, 
that could be digitalized and things like that. Um, uh, j just knowing what fuel you have going into certain places or just knowing what came off of a truck in a logistics viewpoint, that's very important to people. I want to talk about the International Maritime Organization's planned change to bunker fuel regulation, which will take effect January 1st, 2020. Tell me first, Jim, about this regulation, and then we'll talk about some of the challenges that the industry will face. Unless you're really in the industry, you probably have never heard of IMO 2020, International Monitor, uh, Maritime Organization, and 2020 is the year when this is going to take place. Um, as of right now, ships use diesel, and they use something called bunker diesel, which is a very polluting type of fluid. Um, it has 3.5%, usually 3.5% um, sulfur content in it. So we, uh, the IMO is going, <clears throat> has pushed this, I think in 2015 and went into effect. They're asking by 2020, everybody gets down to a half a percent. Okay, so that's from 3.5 to 0.5. In some areas, there's even more stringent things asking for about 0.1%. So that's very, like in the Baltic regions, around parts of, uh, around the Americas and into the Caribbeans. I think in the Mediterranean, they're trying to push for that. So. I mean, I, I've read reports where 50,000 people a, a year are affected or, or have health problems because of diesel uh, at these levels. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of incongruencies right now. Nobody knows what's going to happen, but a lot of people are trying to line up. So some people are, are saying, okay, in 2020, we'll just use the more expensive fuel, which is fine. It's going to cost people a lot more, and I don't think people realize that when that, 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 that um, container ship comes from the Asias into our Pacific coast, um, I mean, I think it, that could cost $3.5 million for that container to come over within, I think it's like 14 days coming here, 14 days of returning. So I think they could say, well, we could see almost a 50% or 40% increase upon that. So all of a sudden the $3.5 million cost jumped up another million and a half. So you're looking at almost like a $5 million cost. They'll probably be pushed on the consumer. So if you think, oh, I don't really care about that, you know, that oil crude floating around in the ocean on a VLCC or, or that container ship, you know, you buy things off of Amazon. Amazon will get more expensive. Why? Because that price probably come from Asia. It's probably going to be shipped to you less. And guess what? A lot of people are going to be competing for the same oil uh, diesel eventually here. So we use a, a, a better grade for our, our diesel for our cars. But just remember, we have trucks, too, in America. And trucks get, you know, the last mile of that product um, from the delivery center into you. So, so there's going to be a lot of competition, at least around 2020, 21, 22, et cetera, in those years. Um, there's going to be a crowding out effect of people trying to buy that better crude, um, I'm sorry, that b better diesel. And so there could be a supply shock effect going into there. Some people have switched over already and installed something called scrubbers. So the oil, uh, the crude that they take on would be the three and a half percent, but there, there's a way to actually wash out the fumes afterwards. And they, they grab the um, sulfur, sulfur contaminants and they sort of sequester it away. So, I mean, that can happen, but that's $5 million to $10 million price tag to put these things in. So, I mean, it's uh, people don't think it's going to really affect them, but um, I think there'll be a little bit of a supply shock. How can a technology like yours 
uh, fit in to this IMO 2020? Where do you see it fitting in and do you see it affecting um, the industry? So good question. Um, I mean, it can be a real-time thing, whether we could actually, or our products could actually be on a ship, or it could be at the supply line side of it. So if that product is being pushed into the to ship and it's being monitored, we could be monitoring that. So we have a technology to every four seconds to make sure whatever is going through a pipe is correct. So if we're looking for half a percent sulfur, um, half a percent diesel, and it's going into um, a, a container ship, we can monitor that on the whole process. Um, the same could go for in the high seas. If somebody thinks that they're gonna get cute and switch over, we could be monitoring what fuel they're using and from what tank. I mean, there's, there's times that they could have a scrubber and be using things like that. And we think it's more plausible to be checking as things go in to the container ships or to the VLCCs. But there's, um, <clears throat> I mean, there's probably about 70,000 ships out there on the high seas. Um, you know, some of them are probably going to um, switch over to a scrubber or things like that. So if they have the scrubbers in line, they would probably want to use them anyway. If we're going to be the policemen out in the high seas, it'd be difficult. I think it really is going to be in the ports where it's got to be, you know, um, administered. As of right now, if you get caught within some of the Baltic areas, um, you could get fined $1,500 by some, like from Latvia. But if you got caught in Belgium, it could be like a $6 million, uh, six million euro fine. So there's a lot of incongruencies in the, the Eurozone for what the fines are. And I read something like only 3% are, 3% uh, of the ships are being monitored. Um, and out of that, they're not even enforced at that point. So. It's really going to be an enlightening thing when 2020 comes, how hard they push this and how much they're going to buckle it down and make people responsible. Where does the ultimate liability of authentication come into play, Jim, um, especially with testing and validation? Does it change the liability? And I guess, how do you see technologies like yours affecting that? Well, that's a good question. I, I'm not really, um, you know, an industry uh, expert on the industry for boats and things like that, but I believe the captain is 100% responsible for whatever is on his ship. Um, regarding other industries, um, I think, I mean, we're, we could be the watchdog for people. Um, something comes off a truck and you say it's whatever. Um, we can validate that right there and we can give you the red flag. Somebody could take that off and say, this doesn't match. Um, customs do that right now. Something goes through customs and we can have, we can set it up for, there, there's 50 containers or something and they can verify that container is correct. Okay, so let's check all 50 containers. All 49 look right. Number 50, the number is way off. Our, our, our time of flight with our reaction with our ultrasonic would come back, give us a alert system saying that's not right. So that, we, we couldn't tell you what it is but we could tell you that's not matching the others. And that's, you know, that that's works in leaps and quantums for people that they could pull that aside, do a test on that. And they found, you know, there was hydraulic fuel and there was cocaine laced within it. So they would take this hydraulic fuel and get it to a certain melting point and then it would evaporate off and they'd be left with cocaine. So it's been documented a few times like that. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Jim, for coming on the podcast today. And thank you everyone for listening to today's transportation podcast. 
If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Maggie Shin. See you next time. 